Let's pray as we turn our attention to God's Word. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that it is living and active, and we pray this morning that You would just fill us with Your Spirit, Jesus, that we would hear Your voice, that You'd speak to us, that we would have an encounter with You. To that end, I pray that You'd guide my lips, Holy Spirit, as I speak to Your beloved people. In Your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. On more than one occasion, when we've had guests in our home and uh, those guests have had to use the washroom in our main floor during the day, uh, particularly probably happens on sunny days, uh, numerous times, and I don't know who you are, some of you, I might be talking about you, I I don't remember who, but this has happened numerous times, people will come out of the washroom and we'll see them fumbling with light switches trying to turn off the light. And as soon as we notice that, we, we, uh, we correct them. We don't leave them fumbling around because uh, they, they look up at the ceiling in our washroom and they see what looks like a light, but the rea- they're flipping switches and other lights and fans are going on and off, but nothing's happening with that light and, and they're not going to have any success because that's actually the sun. We have what some of you might be familiar with, a solar tube in the middle of our washroom and, and particularly in a bright sunny day, it, it seems like a light and on so many occasions people come out and they're trying to figure out the light switch. How do we turn this off? Well, you're not going to succeed at doing that. It's the sun. Grasping, we, we, we try and help them grasp and understand, no, no, that, that's, that's a solar tube, that's the sun, that's going to stay on, you don't have to turn that off. I appreciate them, appreciate them trying to turn off the lights. Grasping what is true, grasping reality is an important thing. Not only when it comes to the solar tube in our washroom, but, but when it comes to Christian life, what the Christian life is to look like, what, what the Christian life of sacrificial, generous, serving, partnering uh, with others for the sake of the gospel, what that looks like before God. And what Paul uh, in this text this morning will help us see is that sacrificial Christian living in service of God is in fact an, an act of worship pleasing to God. Pleasing to God who is gloriously good and worthy of our worship, who is worthy of everything we have. We are this, uh, next week we will actually come to the, the end of Philippians. We're, we're very close to the end. And uh, I don't know about you, but I'm always a little sad when you come to the end of a good book. Uh, this is, but we're, we're going to wrap up Philippians next Sunday. But But here, Paul is writing this letter. If you've been with us, Paul has been writing this letter to a church he planted, the first church in Europe. He planted about 12 years earlier. And the occasion on which he is writing it is he has just received from the Philippians a financial gift. Epaphroditus from Philippi has brought this gift on behalf of this church to him. That's the occasion. Paul is in prison in Rome, and uh, as was the case then, the, the state didn't provide for basic needs of the prisoners, so friends or family had to do that. And so Paul is now provided for by this financial gift from the Philippians, brought by Epaphroditus. Remember, Epaphroditus almost died. He got, he got very sick, but he's recovered. He delivered that gift to Paul. And now Paul writes this letter and sends it back to Philippi, uh, with Epaphroditus. That's, that's the occasion of this letter, but that's not the primary reason for the writing of this letter. Paul writes this because Epaphroditus has, in, has informed Paul of, of two major things that are going on. One, the Philippian believers are beginning to experience opposition 
and suffering because of their faith. They, they live in Philippi, this very pro-Rome colony where people would regularly acclaim to Caesar, Caesar is Lord. Well, these men and women have come to faith in Jesus and, uh, and they've recognized that Caesar isn't Lord. In fact, only Jesus is Lord. And, and because of their loyalty to Christ and their refusal to participate in this acclamation of Caesar is Lord, they are facing opposition and hostility and beginning to suffer. And so Paul writes for that external reality, that external challenge that they are facing. He has also learned through Epaphroditus that internally within the church, not all is well. That there's not full-blown conflict, but there is this uh, relational tension. There is discord. And, and so Paul speaks to that, calling them to oneness, to unity, to, to togetherness. That they would, in humility, look to the interests of others rather than themselves. That they would have the mindset of Jesus who became a servant, a slave, and gave his life on the cross. Now, now at the end of the letter, before concluding it, Paul will finally get around to uh, expressing his gratitude to the Philippians for their financial gift, for how they have supported him. Um, in the text we looked at two weeks ago, last time we were in Philippians, Paul expressed his joy not so much in their gift to him. If you were here, you remember. He, he didn't want them to think, hey, I, I'm filled with joy because of what you gave me. He, he, he is filled with joy because their gift is evidence of their renewed concern for him. He is joyful because of their partnership. He's joyful because of their relationship, their care for him. They, he's received this gift through Epaphroditus from the Philippians while in prison. And if you're with us, remember Paul said this. He said, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Remember, we looked at that at last. That almost sounds like finally. But he, he's simply saying there, there was a hiatus, a, a period of time where they, were, they did not have an opportunity to support him. And now that's been renewed. And so Paul is filled with joy. And he carries on and says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need. But he's, he's not dissing their gift. He had needs. He just wants them to know that what he values, what his joy is rooted in, is in the relationship with them, not in the gift, but in the givers. And then he spoke of contentment, a contentment that he has found, the secret of contentment that is found only through union with Jesus. We were created by God for God, and it is only when we rest in Christ that we will experience that. Paul proclaims that, and the text we looked at concluded with this verse, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And Paul, there, you might recall, is not saying I can do anything or everything I put my head to, put my mind to. I, I, rather, he's saying, hey, I, I can live with plenty or I can live in need. I can live in whatever because Jesus will give me strength to do that. Uh, this morning, we're going to pick up the last half of his expression of gratitude, beginning verse 14 through 20. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to follow along as I read. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out for Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account." I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. I want to consider four things with you in our time together this morning. First, what the Philippians have done 
Second, what Paul desires. Third, what God will do. And fourth, how we should respond. So what the Philippians have done, what Paul desires, what God will do, and how we should respond. So we begin with what the Philippians have done. Remember, remember Paul has been emphasizing uh, carefully the fact that the reason for his joy is not the reception of this gift per se. The reason for his joy is the renewal of friendship, this expression of care and concern by the Philippians that is made evident through their gift to him that he's received in Rome in a prison where he's been sitting for two years. Uh, the, that friendship has blossomed afresh. The, the, this is evidence of their care, renewed care for him. Uh, so what is it the Philippians have done? They, they have sacrificially given this financial gift to Paul. Epaphroditus is born it from Philippi to Rome uh, it, it, while Paul is imprisoned. Uh, centrally, this has been a monetary gift, a financial sacrifice, financial gift, though perhaps there were some other things included. It speaks of gifts, but this is, most centrally, this is a financial gift that they've given. Remember, in, in, in this time, the basic needs of prisoners were not met by the state, and so this would have been a significant and very helpful thing for Paul to receive. So this church, the Philippian believers, have sent this gift, and Paul is grateful for that, but he's been careful to communicate to them that his gratitude is more about the friendship than the gift per se. He values the giver more than the gift. And then in verse 14, he, he says this, Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Paul wants to express his gratitude to them for the gift. He's acknowledging his troubles. He's acknowledging his need. And he says, it, yet it was good. So I, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can live in need. I can live in poverty. I can endure that. It's not the gift I want. It's the relationship with you that I value. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles, he says. We have encountered throughout this letter this theme of, of partnership. The Philippians have partnered with Paul in the ministry of the gospel. Way back in chapter 1, Paul wrote this. He said, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. That is, the Philippians have been, they have been with him for the sake of the gospel. They have been partnering with him for the sake of the gospel. Uh, earlier, he, he, in speaking of Epaphroditus, whom they sent to him with this gift, uh, Paul says this, he, Epaphroditus, risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. He's saying, e you sending Epaphroditus, that is you partnering with me. He came to help me in ways that you couldn't because you're far away. Now, Paul has encouraged them over and over to embrace the same mindset as Jesus so that they will shine like stars in the sky in Philippi, that they would live as ambassadors for Christ and the gospel in Philippi because they are God's people there. They are his missionary people in Philippi seeking to see the gospel message proclaimed, advanced, to see more men and women come from darkness into the light. Paul has spoken and affirmed over and over and over through this letter that they are in this together, that the Philippians are, are engaged in a partnership with him for the sake of Jesus, for the sake of the gospel. Now here in our passage, Paul once more is affirming that fact, that in sharing this financial gift with him, they are sharing in his troubles. They are again partnering with him. They are partners together with him in the work of Christ. And then in verse 15, as we move further, Paul begins to do something that might initially strike us as a little bit strange. He begins to rehearse to the Philippians the story of the Philippians. I mean, they know this. He's, he's telling them what they've done. 
Like they don't know. But, but he said, listen, listen to verse 15 and 16. Moreover, as you Philippians know, you already know what I'm going to tell you. In, in the early days of, our, of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Right from the beginning, remember Paul planted this church. He went to Philippi. Right from the beginning, he went outside the city and spoke to Lydia and a number of other women. They came to faith, and Lydia invited him and his traveling companions, his missionary band, into her home. They, they met his needs. When he left, before he left the, the Roman province of Macedonia, they'd already sent financial gifts to support him in this work uh, on several other occasions. Now, once more after a hiatus of some years, they've sent this other financial gift to help meet his material needs as partners in this gospel work. And Paul here, it, this is a way of expressing his gratitude to them for what they've done now, but what they have, they have done over the years, what they have done consistently. He's, he's highlighting, highlighting their service to God, their service to him, their partnership in the gospel. Yes, he says, I can do all things through Christ. I can live in need. I can live with less than, than would be ideal. I can, I can live with hunger and things. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Thank you. Thank you. And one thing that becomes very clear in verses 15 and 16 is the very unique nature of Paul's relationship with this church in Philippi. He, he doesn't have the same kind of relationship with other churches. Uh, listen again, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. Why is that the case? Why, why is this relationship with this church so unique for Paul? Well, here, here's what one New Testament scholar writes. He says, why he should have entered such a relationship with only one church lies in the area of pure speculation. Well, that's kind of disappointing, isn't it? He's saying, we don't know. We don't know, but there's something really unique about Paul's relationship with this church who have supported him with financial gifts over the years, who are, uh, are partnering with him in the gospel in this unique way. Now, we don't know why Paul entered into this unique relationship with this church, but we do know a few things he says in other places in Scripture, in his letters and, and uh, let me just share it. To the Thessalonians, Paul pl planted that church. He, he writes this, For you yourselves know how uh, you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. In, in Thessalonica, one of the issues he encounters is that there are many people in that church who think, hey, Jesus is returning imminently. Hand in your resignation. Let's sit around and wait. And Paul in that letter says, no, don't be idle, work. And so maybe he, there, there he's like, no, I'm, I need to set an example for them. And so he worked. He didn't receive support there. To the Corinthians, Paul wrote this, if we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? But we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. So in Corinth, the Corinthians were really excited about everything they had a right to do. And one of the things Paul consistently challenges them in is that just because you have a right to it doesn't mean that it's a good thing to do. We, we lay down our rights as Christians for the sake of others, for the sake of the gospel. And, and so in every situation, things are different. Now, Paul doesn't tell us what was unique about Philippi, but we, we know that he had a unique relationship with them where they uh, gave over time again and again to support the ministry of the gospel, to support him. 
It says in the text, in the matter of giving and receiving, and that's significant. I want to just take one moment to speak about the theme, the topic of friendship in the Greco-Roman world, and, and uh, this will, will tie into something that comes a little bit later in this letter. If you were to read some early Greek philosophers, people like Aristotle and Seneca and Plutarch and Cicero, you would discover that they, they wrote a great deal about friendship. And one of the things that was central to friendship in the Greco-Roman world was this idea of reciprocity, of giving and receiving. So this language that Paul uses here, no one partnered with me except you in the matter of giving and receiving. That language would have rang bells for the Philippians. They, they were immersed in this culture. It was their culture, giving and receiving. That lay at the very center of friendship in their world. And so reciprocity is simply uh, I give to you and then you as my friend give to me. There's this relationship of, of mutuality, of mutual caring. Now that will, that will show up a little bit later in this text as we look at this, but this first thing that we've looked at is what have the Philippians done? The Philippians have generously, sacrificially, over and over, they have given to support Paul in the ministry of the gospel. They have been partners with him for the sake of the gospel, not only through giving, also as living as God's ambassadors, Christ's ambassadors in Philippi, but they have partnered with Paul for the sake of the gospel. Second thing I wanted to look at, and that is what does Paul desire? Turn with me to verse 17. Here we again encounter Paul giving a qualifier. He says, not that I desire your gifts. Remember, Paul said, you know, at last you renewed your concern for me. Um, but it's not the gifts that I want. I want, want you. He has these qualifiers here. He says, not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. Paul is going to great lengths to ensure that the Philippians understand that, that his, his concern is not for the stuff he gets. He, his joy is not rooted in, in the gift. His joy is rooted in his relationship with them. And at the same time, he wants to express his gratitude because it really has helped. In, in giving this financial gift, they, they have shared in his troubles. And so he's grateful, but he, he doesn't want to be misunderstood. You see, in, in Paul's day, and we see this elsewhere in, in some of his other letters, there were lots of itinerant teachers who would go around and they saw this opportunity to teach whatever it was they were teaching as, an, as a way to, to profit financially. And, and Paul is acutely aware of that, and he does not want to simply get lumped in as another itinerant teacher. And, and so he's so careful here. He, he needs his support. He appreciates his support, but he is so careful. He, he does not want to give the impression in thanking them for their gift that he's somehow asking for more. Here's how Gordon Fee says it. His short recital of their exemplary history of friendship with him in the matter of giving and receiving is not to be taken as an indirect request for more help. If you were to invite me to your home and serve me a piece of cheesecake, and, and I said, wow, that was really good cheesecake. I love cheesecake. Do you know that cheesecake is one of my favorite things? That was so good. I so enjoyed that cheesecake. You might go like, okay, you gunning for a second slice? Like Paul does not want to give that impression. He wants to, to thank them and affirm this this partnership, but he, he, he doesn't want to say, hey, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to get more. And, and so he's very sensitive around this matter of money. His joy is rooted in his relationship with them. His gratitude is for what their gifts mean. 
that more, his desires that more be credited to their account. Now that's an introduction of this commercial metaphor, banking or accounting metaphor. But more be credited to your account. Where did that, what account are we talking about, Paul? What's, what's going on? Paul, Paul is employing this metaphor to communicate his point to the Philippians that his desire is that because of their partnership with him, because of their sacrifices, their serving, their giving, their, their participating with him now, that they will accrue interest later, that they will, they will have a benefit later because of what they've sacrificed now, that there would be a future reaping of a benefit. Any of you who are investing for retirement, or perhaps you are on the other end where you're beginning to reap the benefit from that. I- investing means that you make sacrifices now so that in the future you would reap the benefit of that. We understand that concept. And, and that's what Paul is, is getting at here, that they have sacrificed, they have given, and now his desire is that they would accrue interest, that they, there would be a future benefit for them because of the sacrifices and service that they have given now. Going way back to the beginning of this letter, we know that Paul's concern for the Philippians as he began writing this letter was that they would grow in Christ. That, that he would be able to encourage them in the face of opposition and suffering. He'd, he'd be able to encourage them with steadfastness to remain true to Christ. And in the, in the context, in the, in, the, in the face of the relational discord in the church, that he, he would call them to greater Christ-likeness, that they would have the mind of Christ in humility. They would look to the interests of others. He, he wants to see them growing as a church, growing as Christians uh, to be who they're meant to be. And, and he prayed back in chapter 1 that they would be filled with the fruit of righteousness. Filled with the fruit of righteousness. And, and this is what he wants. That they're giving, that they're partnering with him in, in the gospel work through this financial gift, through other means, that their partnering with him is in fact the fruit of righteousness. This is evidence of their growth in Christ. This is evidence of their relationship with with God growing and becoming healthy, being what it's meant to be, what it's supposed to be. See, Paul has spoken earlier in this letter, not that long, earlier in chapter 4, Paul spoke of the Philippians being his eschatological reward. Remember, his end-time reward will be standing before Christ and looking over and seeing the Philippians. That will be his reward. Here he's speaking of their reward. The, the, the fruit of righteousness, what the, the, as they live out this partnership for the sake of the gospel, that, that they would be gaining a benefit, that there would be interest accruing, that this would be their eschatological reward. Fee writes this, Paul's interest is not in their reward as such, but in their gift as evidence that their relationship with Christ is in good order and continuing to grow. Their financial gift, their sacrifice, their generosity is evidence of their partnership with Paul. It is evidence of their love for Jesus. It is evidence of their desire to obey Christ and to serve Christ and to partner in the work of Christ in Philippi and in the empire around. And that is what Paul desires. Paul desires that the the Philippians would grow in Christ. that, That they would that they would grow in their love for Christ, that they would run the race. Remember back in chapter 3, Paul said, I, I, I forget what's behind, straining forward. I run the race to win the prize, to, to be with Christ. And he, he wants to see the Philippians live their lives that way, where 
they let go of lesser things and they fix their eyes on Jesus and they, they strain and pursue Christ, not in order to gain Christ as if somehow they're, they're achieving their salvation, that they, they do these things to be accepted. No, 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 no. Because they have been found in Christ by Christ's grace, the righteousness that they received as a gift. And now, as His children, they pursue the Father. They pursue Christ, their Redeemer. Paul's desire is that they would love Christ with their whole being, that they would give everything to him and he celebrates he's he's filled with gratitude that that he's witnessing the fruit of their righteousness that's what their gift is it's a blessing to him but he he says this that it is a fragrant offering an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to god he tells them that what they are doing what they've done for him is is a sacrifice and a pleasing aroma to god in saying that paul is is using language from the Old Testament sacrificial system. Some of you perhaps were around here when we walked through the book of Leviticus a number of years ago. But if you read the book of Leviticus, the, the opening seven chapters speak about all the offerings and sacrifices that were required. And over and over again, most of those offerings are animal offerings. Animals would be slaughtered and either the entire animal carcass or portions thereof would be put on the altar and burnt. And over and over again, we read this language of an aroma pleasing to the Lord. A pleasing aroma to the Lord. We, we, we picture it rising from that altar and into the nostrils of God, and God is pleased as he, as he smells that. Earlier this week, you know, in one of the brief moments when it wasn't raining, I was in my backyard doing something, and, and suddenly I got hit with something that smelled marvelous. And I just happened to be looking north, and I looked up, and about three yards over, my neighbor Steve was barbecuing something. I'm like, oh, Steve, that's a pleasing aroma. That's the picture. Paul is saying to the Philippians that what you are doing as you sacrifice, as you give, as you partner in this gospel ministry is a pleasing aroma to God. That God's, mm, he's pleased. He's pleased that, that, that what they are doing, this life of sacrifice and service and partnership is actually an act of worship, that it, it pleases God. Third, what will God do? What will God do? I want you to remember again the Greco-Roman concept of friendship and how reciprocity, a lay at the center in this matter of giving and receiving, was central to the idea of friendship. Paul has just said this in verse 18, I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. Paul has just received from the Philippians this gift, their generosity. So the Greco-Roman concept of friendship would mean that now it's his turn to give to them. And look what he says. Because Paul's in prison in Rome. Paul's unable to, to, to give them anything, to be there. He can't do that. But look what he says. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of His glory in Christ Jesus. He says, thank you for what you have given me. And, and my God's going to give to you. My God's going to meet all your needs. My, my God is, he's, he's saying God's going to step in for me. He, he's going to give back to you in, in response to your gift to me. Paul's saying, you've given generously. I've received full payment. Now, though I have nothing to give, my God will give you in my place. 
God will assume Paul's responsibility of reciprocity. God will meet their every need. Now that includes material needs, but is not limited to material needs. It includes every other kind of need as well. But let me quickly clarify something that we always need to hear when we encounter a word like this. God is not a genie in a bottle. God is not some cosmic vending machine. God, this this is not a promise that we will get everything we want. Nor is it a promise that we will get everything we need from our perspective. This is a promise that God will meet all your needs, all their needs, all my needs, according to the riches of His glory in Christ Jesus. Uh, That is, every need will be filled to the full in God's way in keeping with God's purposes. That is so important that we hear that. Every need will be met in God's way according to God's purposes. God will meet their needs. In the midst of their poverty, God will provide the material needs that they have. In the face of opposition and suffering, God will provide them with steadfastness, with joy and with courage to cling to Christ. In the face of the call to stand together in unity, God will give them humility and grace so that they can be of one mind and have the mind of Christ in relationship to one another. God will meet all their needs so that they can fulfill His purposes for them in this Roman colony of Philippi so that they might, together as a church, as God's people in Philippi, that they might shine like stars in the sky, that they might be His missionary people partnering with Paul in this gospel work. God will meet all their needs according to His purposes, His way. The Philippians' generosity to Paul has been wildly exceeded by the generosity of God. God who provided His Son Jesus who who put on flesh, who humbled himself and became human, a man, who who became a servant, a slave, who humbled himself even to obedience on a cross. Paul proclaimed that in Philippians 2 in this letter, that Jesus did that out of love for you and out of love for me in order that through His death we might be washed clean, forgiven, purified, and, and clothed with His perfect righteousness. God, God's generosity, God's service, God's sacrifice has, has far exceedingly surpassed anything the Philippians have done. And that God, that God who is so good, that God who is so generous, that God who is so sacrificial, that God will meet all your needs according to His purpose in His way for His purposes. And at this point, Paul simply responds by bursting into worship to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. That brings us to the fourth thing that I wanted to reflect on with you, and that is how should we respond? How should we respond to God's Word, to what Jesus wants to say, to what Jesus is saying? God is glorious and good. God is gloriously generous and loving. 
And what we see here is that for us, living lives of generosity and service and sacrifice is, is not only appropriate, but it, it, it is a response of worship. It, 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 is, it is a response of, of delighting ourselves in God. It, it is a fragrant offering, a pleasing aroma to God. If you're here with us today online or here in the sanctuary and you don't know Jesus yet, I, I want to speak to you for a moment. I, I, I want you to know I want you to know that what you long for, what every human being longs for, that is a sense of meaning and purpose and significance, what you long for will only be found through a relationship with Jesus. That, that we as human beings, all of us, have searched for that elsewhere. But as St. Augustine said, our hearts are restless and they will remain restless until we rest in Christ. We were made by God for God. We were made to, we were created as his image bearers. And sin, our sin, our rebellion has, has marred that, has screwed that up. And God wants to restore us that we would be women and men who would reflect God. That we'd reflect the character of God, his goodness, his generosity, his love, his grace. That, that we would respond by living lives of generous sacrifice and service not in order to earn something from God, but because in living that way, we are in fact becoming more like Him. And we can only do that when we surrender to Jesus, when we receive His grace, when we receive His forgiveness. So no matter what you've done, no matter how guilty you feel, God's grace is far more abundant than your brokenness, than your rebellion. And so I invite you even today to surrender to Him, to, to, to repent of your sin, to say, God, I, I've, I've rebelled and to believe, put your hope in Him. Jesus, You are my only hope for forgiveness. Cleanse me, wash me, clothe me with Your righteousness. And when that happens, when, when you experience new birth and you become a Christian, a disciple of Jesus, th then the call is to live this life, a life where you are reflecting the character of God, where you are pouring out your life in sacrifice, service, generosity for the sake of God, for the sake of his mission of making the gospel known. And, and in that life, in that life, you will find significance and purpose and meaning. It was the life you were made for. And so I invite you to lose your life for the sake of Christ. Jesus says in Mark 8, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. I invite you to bow your knee to Jesus and lose your life today because in doing so, you will receive life and life to the full. To those of you who are in Christ, brothers and sisters, I've said this before, and you'll most likely hear me say it again. We are called to so much more than just living a good moral life. We are, we are called to follow this example of the Philippians. We, we are called ultimately to be transformed into God's likeness, that we would live lives of sacrifice, of generous giving of ourselves for the sake of the gospel. And that touches every part of our life. Certainly it, it touches uh, our lives financially, but it touches our lives as far as our, our calendars, our, our, our use of time, our gifts, 
Are we generously, sacrificially partnering in the work of the gospel? Or do we think if we live good moral lives and show up on Sundays, like we're, we're most of the time or sometimes, that, that, that that's the Christian life? I want us to understand. I don't want us fumbling around with light switches. This is a life of worship that we're called to. To pour ourselves out for the sake of the gospel. What is the Spirit of Jesus saying to you today? What is He calling you to let go of? What is He calling you to step into? Where is Jesus calling you to give? Where is Jesus calling you to sacrifice? Where is Jesus calling you to serve? Where is Jesus calling you to partner? Where is Jesus calling you to worship Him? By giving your life away. By letting go of all that you have. And saying, Jesus, I'm yours. You gave yourself fully for me. I give myself fully to you. Brothers and sisters, we aren't called to this life in order that we would be accepted we must never hear that this, this text is not speaking about how to become a Christian. It's speaking about how to live as a Christian. How to live a life of worship. And I, I, I long for each of us to not be standing there flipping at a switch because we're not understanding the Christian life. Trying to figure out what's going on. A Christian life is not a life of simply trying to be good and moral. Yes, we're called to obedience and holiness I don't hear what I'm not saying, but the Christian life is a life of worship, and we worship by giving ourselves away. My prayer is that we would grasp this truth, that we would understand the glorious invitation that we have to, to partner with one another, to partner with believers around the world, to, to sacrificially, generously serve to lose our lives for the sake of Christ, the sake of the gospel, the sake of the advance of His kingdom, that many, many more all around us who are lost and in darkness would come to know the joy of resting in the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, thank You for this invitation. Thank you for this example. Thank you for the new life that is ours in you. And I pray, Jesus, that you would move in each one of our hearts and lives, that we would not remain the same, that we would hear your voice this morning. And in whatever ways you are calling us into this life of worship, of giving ourselves away, of losing our lives for you, Lord Jesus, that, that you would make that clear, that you would give us courage and strength, and Lord, that you'd give us joy. And that our lives, all through the week, might be a pleasing aroma to you. Lord, that we would live lives of worship, giving glory to you, for you are good and glorious and worthy of our everything. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.